Colorado State University, this is 90.5 FM KCSU Fort Collins and KCSUFM.com. This is the Rocky Mountain Review for Thursday, October 29th, 2020. I'm your host, Coda Babcock. And I'm Ivy Winfrey. And you're listening to KCSU Fort Collins. First off, happy almost Halloween. On today's show, I will be updating you on campus and local news, and then we'll be hearing from KCSU Sports Director Dixon Lawson. After that, we'll be listening to an interview with Dennis Houska from the Huska Automotive Halloween Blood Drive, and then I'll be delivering some national news. To conclude the show, Coda will be giving some updates on COVID-19, and I'll be updating us on the strange things happening in the world. Let's move right into campus and local news. Hello again, everybody. My name is Ivy Winfrey, and you are listening to 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. This is your campus and local news for today. Uh, Starting off with campus news, Colorado State University is finally moving forward with plans for the Hughes Stadium land after nearly a year of setbacks, according to Samantha Yeh at the Rocky Mountain Collegian. The CSU Board of Governors, or the BOG, voted unanimously to invoke its status as a state governing governing entity and enter the site plan advisory review process for Hughes, wherein the Board of uh, Board of Governors will make the final decision on the property plan. Unlike before, the city of Fort Collins will now serve only to advise and comment. In their vote, the board turned down a recent purchase offer from the city and reiterated its main objective of providing attainable housing for lower-income university employees. In the past, the Hughes Stadium land has been sold by C- uh, CSU to the Lennar Corporation, but consistent delays for the finalization of the deal kept occurring because Fort Collins City Council wanted to, ve- to develop on the land and then ran into multiple ethics complaints. In the most recent development before this one, CSU had offered to purchase the land for $7 million less than Lennar offered, so the Board of Governors decided to push through with the initial plan. Dean Singleton, CSU Board of Governors member and secretary, said of the decision, quote, We have always wanted what's best for the university and for Fort Collins, and I think while we're having to go this difficult, different direction... I think what we're proposing here is still very, very positive, not only for the university, but for the citizens of Colorado and Fort Collins as well. End quote. According to Delray Sierra Vola at CSU Source, Colorado State University police are warning that students, faculty, and staff are being targeted in recent job and financial scams. Scammers will often use spoof of uh, will often spoof a phone number or email so that it appears the call is from a government agency, a colleague, or university employee, or some other reputable person. However, scammers are often individuals who are working overseas. In addition, scammers are contacting individuals with COVID-19 ploys, such as offering tests, vaccines, or other products. More information about COVID-specific scams can be found on the Federal Trade Commission website at ftc.gov. Police stated that one can look for three distinct red flags to tell when something is a scam. The first red flag is if random unsolicited unsolicited requests for money or your your financial information or or offering you jobs or money are present within messages. Additionally, uh, they use high-pressure tactics such as intimidation, a threat to harm you or someone else, or pressure to trust the scammer to do uh, do what they say before they will stop communicating with you, and creating fear through threats of embarrassment or harm to you with the person engaging with you or others. 
Moving on to local news, the Larimer County Sheriff's Office released information about additional structures known to be damaged in the Cameron Peak Fire on Wednesday, according to Miles Blumhart at the Coloradoan. During a Wednesday morning video update, LCSO Captain Joe Shellhammer said that the number of known structures destroyed is about 442, with 222 of those being cabins or homes since the fire started August 13th. It was reported Tuesday that there have been 434 reported structures destroyed, including 209 homes. Shellhammer said assessment teams were able to access the area of Cedar Park, Storm Mountain, the retreat, and above Glen Haven on Tuesday, but he continues in that area despite more than a foot of snow over the weekend. Wednesday, the sheriff's office downgraded evacuations from mandatory to voluntary for Monument Gulch and Pingree Park areas. This includes the Poudre Springs subdivision in the area north along Pingree Park Road to Colorado Highway 14. The same downgrade was issued for the Paradise Park and Moody Hill areas off of Larimer County Road 44H, west of Larimer County Road 27, Buckhorn Road. Despite there being no reported increase in fire size since one to two feet of snow suppressed the fire, fire officials continue to preach that the fire is expected to become more active as the weather warms this week. Shellhammer said on a recent visit to the visit to the Thompson Zone, it was nine degrees with 15 inches of snow on the ground and was still seeing smoke. Kale Casey, public information officer for the fire's incident command team, said despite the snow, aviation resources will remain close by because continued fire suppression will be likely needed. As of Wednesday morning, the Cameron Peak Fire remains the largest wildfire in Colorado history at 208,000 acres and counting with 64% containment. The Thompson Zone of the East Troublesome Fire is at over 4,000 acres with no containment. The Entire East Troublesome Fire is at over 192,000 acres with 20% containment. According to J.C. Marmaduke at the Coloradoan, Westminster Presbyterian Church will offer day shelter for Fort Collins' homeless population during inclement weather periods this fall, winter, and spring. The city's and service providers struck a deal with the church located at 1709 West Elizabeth Street after a month-long search for daily day shelter locations didn't turn up any feasible options. The search, that search will continue, city staff told Fort Collins City Council on Tuesday night, but in the meantime, the church will be able to accommodate about 75 people during days when temperatures aren't expected to surpass 32 degrees or when a winter storm warning or wind chill advisory is in effect. Also on cold days, Catholic Charities will serve as a day shelter for women and families, and the Murphy Center will clear out its indoor facility to use as a day shelter. Together, the locations are expected to meet most or all of the day shelter needs for Fort Collins' homeless population on dangerously cold and snowy days in the coming months. A temporary overnight shelter with a capacity of 100-150 people is projected to open at 1301 Blue Spruce Drive on Monday. Council approved an emergency ordinance Tuesday allowing the church to immediately serve as an emergency day shelter when there is inclement weather. At the same meeting, council members acknowledged the absence of a longer-term plan for sheltering Fort Collins' homeless population. The city is working with Homeward Alliance, Fort Collins Rescue Mission, Catholic Charities, and Health of Health District of Northern Larimer County on the inclement weather plan. Transport is expected to provide transportation between the emergency day shelter and the overnight shelter that Rescue Mission is operating at 1301 Blue Spruce Drive. The overnight shelter, located on an unused portion of the food bank for Larimer County property, is expected to open November 2nd. 
Before the COVID-19 pandemic, the city and service providers coordinated with local churches to provide a network of warming centers, especially on cold days. But the previous plan wouldn't accommodate the social distancing needed to prevent the spread of infection. Beth Soder, Fort Collins' social sustainability director of the Day, uh, Day Shelter Plan, said, quote, Well, we recognize that this isn't an optimal solution. It's the best option we have at this time. End quote. We'll be right back with our sports update from Dixon Lawson. There is nothing to listen to. Hold up. What time is it? It's almost five. Quick. Put it on 90.5. It's almost time for the 3.0 radio show. What's that? It's this crazy, fact-filled, genre-bending two hours of radio madness. Hey, everyone. If you like incredible music from every genre and learning interesting facts, join me, Carter Minner, next on the 3.0 Radio Show, where we have nothing but fine melodies and fascinating facts. Hello, everyone. It's Jonathan Gillen for the KCSU Sports Podcast. We've got a special interview today. We're going to talk to a member of the KCSU Club Rugby Women's Team. And we're also going to take a little bit of a deep dive into what it means to be non-binary and an athlete. Today, we're joined by a member of the CSU Rugby Club team. And I'm sitting here with Jordan. Jordan, how are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Uh, first of all, let's just start off. Jordan, what are your pronouns and how do you identify? Oh, my pronouns are they, them. Um, I identify as non-binary. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for that, Jordan. So let's just jump right into some questions about the rugby team. All right. So if I was completely new on campus and I've never heard of the rugby club team and I wanted to get involved, when does your season typically start in a normal year? So actually we have two different seasons. We have 15s and 7s, and 15s takes place during the fall semester, and 7s will be during the spring semester. And honestly, it kind of goes for the whole semester, both of them. So you get two seasons on both both semesters? Yes. Wow, that's... that's... Well, one season per semester. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that's, ex- that's exciting for if you wanted to get involved, you get... Sometimes some clubs, they only play one semester. That's pretty cool. When do you typically play your games? Are they on weekends? Yeah, usually weekends, Saturdays or Sundays, just depending on how it's been set up. We've had a couple games during the week if we have to travel, but usually just weekends. 
How do you typically hold practices? They'll just be on the practice fields and our coach will run us through drills and techniques and some fitness stuff. Okay, okay. What are the requirements to be in the rugby team? Uh, show up. Show up? Okay. Yeah, uh, we have people coming from years of rugby experience, people like me coming from zero rugby experience. So really, if you just want to play and are willing to stick it out, you can come out. Nice. And where do you, you said you practice on the practice field. Where do you typically play your games? On the practice field. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we'll just have to set up the goalposts, but same deal. Okay, yeah. So over there by Moby. Okay, yeah. great. Let's talk a little bit about safety, though. You know, rugby has a lot of contact. Oh, yeah. What do they do about safety, and how do you ensure the safety of the participants? So <laughs> if your technique is good, you'll be safe. You should wear a mouth guard because a mouth guard's going to, like, keep your teeth from getting knocked out. It also helps prevent concussions. But honestly, the, the best way to be safe is to play good rugby. I, I like that answer. For me, I'm not a, I don't know a lot about rugby. So could you, let's elaborate a little bit more on technique. I would really like to hear, how does technique keep you safe? Yeah, totally. Um, I'm a very technique oriented person when it comes to sports. And so like when you tackle, I'm a very tackle heavy person. And so if you're going in with your head, you're going to hurt yourself. You're, you might have a concussion. You might hurt your neck really badly. And you could also potentially hurt the person you're tackling. So in rugby, what you actually want to do is tackle with your shoulder. You want to make contact between your shoulder and the other person's hips. And that'll keep your head out of the way and help them fall in a way that's safe for them as well. You can't leave with your head anymore. That's just something that's like an old school thing. Especially in, in rugby, when you don't wear as much safety equipment as like football players do. <laughs> well, you might have to have traction every day after that. Yeah, let's, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about, you know, it's 2020, COVID-19s been a you know we're dealing with this this year how is this season working with COVID-19? So the season isn't happening because of COVID-19 since the since the club is not actually sanctioned through CSU technically it's all done through USA Rugby and since USA Rugby has to cover you know the entire United States they just had to say no one do anything at all even if you're in an area that's a little bit safer yeah so we can't have any sort we can't even have practices at the moment are there any talks of being able to resume practices or any, any thoughts about maybe a season in the spring right now? Not that I've heard. Um, I think that would really only happen if, you know, it, there was significantly, it was significantly safer. It, nothing's really moving at the moment, though. So right now you're just kind of playing it by ear, kind of waiting to, waiting to see for, I don't know, the, the medical professionals to give us the clear. Exactly. Life. Okay. That makes sense. So... Now, this is kind of an off-season then. Yeah. How do you and the players stay in contact and, and keep preparing, waiting for that call to happen? Um, we're all up on like a group chat, which we're in during the season as well. And our coach is able to give us updates as needed. Uh, hasn't been anything as of yet, but it's really just expected that. Um, try and keep up on your fitness if you can, but just kind of lie low until next season happens. Does the coach assign like any individual task or anything at all or just... No, no, not at all. Um, I'm sure if I asked him, he would. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I want to talk next about you being non-binary and being an athlete. Yeah. How is it playing in the rugby team and being non-binary? I mean, all my other teammates are totally fine with it. I actually forgot to tell a whole bunch of them, but they, like, knew. <laughs> I, like, I like came out kind of randomly one day, and a bunch of people said, why didn't you tell us sooner? And I said, because I thought you already knew but it doesn't really affect much because basically when you're on a rugby pitch, everyone on your team is going to fight for your life. 
And everyone not on your team doesn't give a crap who you are. They want to beat the crap out of you. <laughs> no, I love the, the authenticity. I love that. I love the attitude. Because when it comes down to team sports and, and working as a team, it's about, you know, one force moving forward all for the same goal. And the rest of it doesn't matter. Exactly. The rest of it doesn't matter. So, oh, it also feels like you feel accepted in your sport too, would you say? I really do, yeah. I've never had an issue with anyone, be it my teammates or my coach or any opponents about it. And one more kind of question, if to any listener that might be non-binary or having trouble with identity, what would you tell them as advice if they wanted to play sports? Honestly, I find sports to be one of my biggest releases in just like stress and everyday stuff. And so if you're non-binary and want to go out for a sport, just like, just do it. And if you are committed and practicing, you don't even have to be good. If you're just trying your hardest because you love the sport, no one can say anything about you. And trying is the first step of, of getting. Here. Exactly. I'm really bad at rugby. <laughs> <laughs> I had, I've never run before I played rugby. But so. I bet since you've been on the rugby team, your, your talent level has increased. Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's great to hear. I, I think that's one thing, get involved. I, I think especially in, in 2020, I know it's, it's unfortunately you can't really have a season right now, but I think sports does so much for, I think, mental health, for just help relieving that stress. And plus having a, a team and teammates around you is just so much, it helps your personal self, I think so much. I agree completely. Let's, let's talk about what is your favorite, I guess, memorable event or game while on the rugby team? Oh, so um, last year when we had our 15 season, um, I played a game against the Air Force Academy and the Air Force Academy is a bigger team. So I played their B side, which I guess you could call like their, I don't want to say less good, but you know, but also what was cool about that game was UNC's rugby team is actually very, very small. So they don't have enough players to play on their own. And so they came out and we joined with them and we played with UNC against Air Force. And I, I loved that. I thought it was super fun. <laughs> That's, I love it when you have, the, there's always those special events or memorable trips that just really stick out. And I think that's that's what kind of bonds you with your teammates too, is you all get to share that awesome event. Yeah, I agree. And rugby is really just bonding for whoever's in it. I've played with UNC, I've played with New Mexico teams. Like I've just been on other people's teams so I can help them play. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. All right, Jordan, last, last question. Where can a, a listener or a CSU student find more information about the rugby team? So we do have a Facebook page, CSC Women's Rugby on Facebook. You can contact, there should be contact information for our, the coach or the captains on there, and you can look us up pretty easily. We also have an Instagram page, also CSC Women's Rugby. If you're interested in the men's team, uh, I'm not sure about their social media at all, but if you contact someone on the women's team, they can get you in contact with the men's team. Fantastic. Jordan, I just want to say thank you once again for coming in for this. This has been really awesome. I appreciate you. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was of really course. fun. Of course. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Once again, that was Jordan from the CSU women's rugby team. If you like this or other podcasts from KCSU Sports, we're available on Spotify, kcsufm.com, or through your phone's podcast app. I just want to thank all of our listeners once again for listening. For KCSU Sports, I'm Jonathan Gillum, and I'll catch you next time.
All right, that was Jonathan Gillum from our sports department interviewing Jordan Wyman, who is a rugby player on the women's team here at CSU. Um, if you want to hear more from them, again, you can listen to the KCSU Sports Podcast, which is published every Sunday. So that will be here the day after Halloween. And we also heard from Ivy Winfrey just before that with local and campus news. Up next, we're going to be hearing from Dennis Huska of the uh, What's Up Donor Blood Drive. Today, I am joined by Dennis Huska, the owner of Huska Automotive, here to talk with us about their What's Up Donor Blood Drive. Thanks for joining me today, Dennis. Sure. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Thank you for asking. Uh, So first off, I just wanted to ask if you would uh, just give me uh, a give me and our listeners a rundown of the blood drive. Um, Who's it with? Uh, Where is it at? What day it's on? Uh, Just the whole rundown. So it's uh, Friday, October 30th from 7 a.m. to 1 p.m. at the Garth England Blood Center, which is not too far from campus, just east down Laurel Street and cut through park. But it's at, the address is 1025 Panic Place. It's over by the Safeway on LeMay and, and Riverside. So uh, I understand that the this blood drive has been an annual event that you have done with your company. Um, I was wondering if you'd be able to tell me like some of the history behind it, like uh, what uh, how it got started and stuff like that. We're longtime blood donors, our family is. We've always looked at for a good way to raise awareness for the need for blood donations. And so it seemed like Halloween was a perfect time for vampires to be sucking blood and that type of thing. So we started uh, 19 years ago, we started uh, doing this uh, Halloween blood drive. It's always the Friday before Halloween. To the phlebotomists, and we encourage all everybody to come dressed in Halloween costumes, and and uh, we've got a bunch of great prizes for people to come. Um, so one thing you can do if you come, we have a we trade a pint of your blood for a pint of Cooper Smith Spear. Nice. A, a coupon so everybody can go down to the pub and have a drink, a beer out afterwards. Cooper Smith's been supporting us that way for years and years. But then something uh, this year, um, Goodyear Tires is going to give us a set of tires to give away to one of the donors too, and just a drawing. So that value of that 
set of tires could be up to a thousand dollars. So um, and anybody can come over and get on, uh, donate blood, and then you get a chance. It's really the odds of winning this everything is are so in your favor because um, there's only going to be I think at the most we've had like 75 people donating blood at that during that period, and um, so one out of 75 chances of winning a set of tires, and you're assured to get a a pint of beer too, if you come over. So it's it's always fun. Then we always have fun other things going on too, but it's a kind of a fun time. People are excited about Halloween, and it's a great time to to save somebody's life. So one of the easiest ways you can save somebody else's life right here in our own community, and we always have a different theme for the the Halloween. This time we're kind of doing the Looney Tunes costumes and that type of thing. So that makes it kind of fun too. But anybody can come dressed with whatever. The more of the costumes, the better. And so we'll probably have a few Elmer Fudds there along with Bugs this year. So I understand this year has been a little bit crazy. Uh, what with uh, COVID-19. I was wondering if... Um, you think COVID-19 has like impacted or changed the kind of context or like uh, importance behind the blood drive this year, would you say? Well, you know, there is a real need, a shortage of blood right now. In fact, um, I know that they're putting out a call. I just got a call yesterday that they are needing more blood with COVID and everything else going on. And it takes just uh, longer to donate because they have to disinfect everything, you know, and you can't, the social distancing and all the other things that we have to do with the COVID, it's just taking longer to get the, the blood. So the blood supply is getting in short supply right now. And one of the great things when you donate through uh, UC Health, Garth England, the blood stays right here in our community. It's not shipped off or anything like that. It's used by somebody right here that is in need of it for, you know, all sorts of different reasons. I think they said at one point, 60 some percent of the population will need a blood product at some time in their life. And there's only like two to 5% that don't donate. So they have to make up for that part. Finally, is there anything else you'd like to uh, add or talk about the event that um, I haven't uh, asked questions about? Um, and are there any uh, websites or social media pages where uh, you'd like to talk about where listeners could maybe find out more? Yeah, they can go right to our website, uh, uskaautomotive.com, and there's a link over to the blood, blood drive there, and you can sign up uh, for the drive on the site for what time it's going to work for you, or if that doesn't work for it, you can just call the shop at Four eight two zero one five six, and they'll sign you up also. All right, Dennis, thank you so much for joining to me. I think that's all I have. Hey, thanks for the help. All right, have a good rest of your day. Bye. Bye bye. Again, that was Dennis Huska with Huska Automotive. 
The What's Up Donor Blood Drive is taking place Friday, October 30th from 7 a.m. to 1 p.m. at the Garth Anglin Blood Center. You can also find out more information at huskamautomotive.com. Support for KCSU comes from the CSU Department of English Creative Writing Reading Series and their upcoming Zoom livestream event on November 12th, featuring the literary works and voices of distinguished authors Dan B. Quick and Debbie Thompson. Their readings will be live-streamed via Zoom starting at 7 p.m. For more information on this event and other upcoming authors in the Creative Writing Reading Series, visit english.colostate.edu slash events. All right, now for some national news for October 29th. Uh, voter turnout among young voters may be surging in this year's election. According to Juana Summers at NPR, Harvard University's Institute of Politics has recently released information from a survey related to voting plans for 18 to 29-year-olds. In this survey, 63% of participants said they would definitely vote in this election compared to a similar poll in 2016 in which 47% of participants said the same. Over 6 million voters in this age group have already sent out their ballots, and the number of new voters under 30 is double that of new voters within the age group from the 2016 election. YouTube is preparing for the election by adding an election aspect to their website, and this year they will be adding a results may not be final statement within it to avoid the spread of misinformation. According to Brett Molina, USA Today, this new information panel will include a link to latest ballot counts as well as other fact-checked content. YouTube has also said that it will have links on where to vote and promote what they call authoritative sources for election news through their platform. Former Chief of Staff for the Department of Homeland Security, Miles Taylor, has come forward as the once anonymous writer of a New York Times opinion piece and a book criticizing the current president. According to Vanessa Romo from NPR, Taylor previously denied being the writer of these two anonymous works, including in an interview with Anderson Cooper of CNN. White House spokeswoman Kaylee McEnany said in a statement, quote, this low-leveled, disgruntled former staffer is a liar and a coward who chose anonymity over action and leaking over leading. He was ineffective and incompetent during his time as a DSH chief of staff, which is why he was promptly fired after only serving in this role for a matter of weeks, end quote. In his Medium post, Taylor said, quote, issuing my critiques without attribution forced the president to answer them directly on their merits or not at all, end quote. Taylor continues to identify as a proud member of the Republican Party and has appeared in ads for Republican voters against Trump. That's all for today's national news highlights. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. Fort Collins Bike Co-op is an organization whose mission is to build community through bicycling. They provide the tools and expertise to help fix up any bike, new or old. Hours of operation are Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays, 2 to 5 p.m., and Sunday from noon to 6 p.m. For more information, check out their Facebook page, Fort Collins Bike Co-op, or email info at fcbikecoop.org.
I'm Coda Babcock, and this is COVID-19 updates for October 29th. Colorado State University has a cumulative case count of 661 as the spike between September and early October has started to wind down. Larimer County currently has a medium level risk score, but is on the higher end. There have been 59 new cases in the past 24 hours, and every day in the past two weeks has seen a minimum of 50 new cases daily. Larimer County currently reports a 14-day case rate of 222 per 100,000, and 29 COVID patients are in the hospital. Hospital utilization has raised up to 73%, but ICU utilization has lowered down to 69%. Larimer County is facing an overall spike in COVID-19 cases, and the state of Colorado has over 100,000 cases, with over 2,000 deaths among those cases. There have been over 1,000 outbreaks statewide, and over 1.1 million people have been tested in Colorado. Today, Governor Polis announced a plan to send a $375 stimulus out to 435,000 unemployed people in Colorado. This stimulus goes to people who qualified for unemployment at least once since March 15th and previously made less than $52,000 annually before losing their jobs. This money is coming from Colorado's general fund, and the purpose is to help Coloradoans recover to some extent while Congress continues to work to make a deal for a larger amount of relief. King Supers and other Kroger stores will soon be offering a $25 rapid test in Colorado to check for COVID-19 antibodies. This test involves a finger prick blood test and results are ready in about 15 minutes. These tests are FDA approved and are already used in some Kroger stores in other states. Nationwide, there are over 8.9 million cases of COVID-19 with an increase of over 80,000 cases Wednesday. There are 227,000 deaths with over 1,000 reported Wednesday. Cases increased by 41% over the past two weeks, and deaths have increased by 9% over the same time span. More than 40 cases, or more than 40 states reported an increase in cases. The United States averages with an increase of over 74,000 new cases each day. The Midwestern United States is experiencing especially high rates of hospitalization. A new study from the Vanderbilt School of Medicine also says that counties with mask mandates show lower rates of hospitalization. Hospitals with 75% of patients from counties with mask mandates experienced less overall hospitalizations, with rates not significantly rising between July and October. Hospitals with less than 25% of patients coming from counties with mask mandates in place, saw a hospitalization increase of over 200% on the other hand. Today's information comes from Tony Keith of KKTV in Colorado Springs, Madeline Holcomb at CNN, CSU's COVID site, Larimer County, the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, and the New York Times. KCSU News reminds students to complete a symptom checker every day on covid.colostate.edu, including when you aren't on campus. For access to more COVID-19 resources, you can visit cdc.gov coronavirus. That's all for today's COVID-19 updates. I'm Coda Babcock, and you're listening the Rocky Mountain Review. Sometimes we need to get a little weird with it. So here's some of the weirdest and most humorous news from around the world. Tesla's self-described, fully self-driving cars can't actually drive themselves, according to Tom Krischer at the Associated Press. Earlier this month, electric car manufacturer Tesla Automotive sent out its full self-driving software, 
to a small group of owners who will test it on public roads. But buried on its website is a disclaimer that the $8,000 system does not make the vehicles autonomous and drivers still have to supervise it. The conflicting messages have experts in the field accusing Tesla of deceptive, irresponsible marketing that could make the roads more dangerous as the system is rolled out to as many as 1 million electric vehicle drivers by the end of the year. Stephen Schladover, a research engineer at the University of California, Berkeley, who has studied autonomous driving for 40 years, said that, quote, this is actively misleading people about the capabilities of the system based on the information I've seen about it is very a is a very limited functionality that still requires constant driver supervision. On a conference call Wednesday, Tesla CEO Elon Musk told industry analysts that the company is starting full self-driving slowly and cautiously, quote, because the world is a complex and messy place, end quote. It plans to have drivers this weekend, uh, add drivers this weekend, and hopes to have a wider release by the end of the year. He referred to having a million vehicles providing feedback on situations that can't be anticipated. The company hasn't identified the drivers or said where they, they are located. The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, which regulates automakers, says that we'll monitor Tesla's, uh, the Teslas with this uh, software closely and will not hesitate to take action to provide the public against unreasonable risks to safety. The agency says in a statement that it has been briefed on the Tesla system, which it considers to be an expansion of driver assistance software, which requires human supervision. No capable available for purchase today is capable of driving itself, the statement said. On its website, Tesla touts in large font its fully self-driving capability. In smaller font, it warns, the currently enabled features require active driver supervision and do not make the vehicle autonomous. The activation and use of these features are dependent on achieving reliability far in excess of human drivers as demonstrated by billions of miles of experience as well as regulatory approval, which may take longer in some jurisdictions. Even before using the term fully self-driving, Tesla named its driver assist system autopilot many drivers relied on it too much and checked out resulting in at least three u.s deaths the national transportation safety board faulted tesla in those fatal crashes for letting drivers avoid paying attention and failing to limit where autopilot can be used According to Rose Eveleth at the Smithsonian Magazine, a post on forum website Quora has uncovered that Garfield, the long-running comic strip about an orange overweight cat, was never meant to be funny. On the forum, one user posed the question, is Garfield even supposed to be funny? The question received a response from a woman who said that she used to handle frequent licensing proposals from Jim Davis, the author and creator of Garfield, saying that Davis designed Garfield with no intention of making the comic strip funny. The woman pointed to a Slate magazine article written in 2004 to back up her claims. The Slate article, written by Chris Solentrop, contained the following passages. Davis makes no attempt to conceal the crass commercial motivations behind his creation of Garfield. Davis carefully studied the marketplace when developing Garfield. The genesis of the strip was, quote, a conscious effort to come up with a good, marketable character, end quote. Davis told Walter Shapiro in a 1982 interview in the Washington Post. And primarily an animal. Snoopy is very popular in licensing. Charlie Brown is not. So, Davis looked around and noticed that dogs were popular in the funny papers, but there wasn't a strip for the nation's 15 million cat owners. Then, he consciously developed a stable, a stable of recurring, repetitive jokes for the cat. He hates Mondays, he loves lasagna, and he sure is fat. 
The Quora answerer went on to state that even without the comic strip, Davis would be able to make tons of money from Garfield, writing, quote, The strip isn't what's important. What's with the movies, plush toys, branded pet food, even in the Garfield Pizza Cafe in Kuala Lumpur, end quote. And that's all the weird news I have for today. And now for the weather. Temperatures are warming up and getting nice and sunny just in time for socially distant and outdoor Halloween celebrations. The next few days will be very dry and sunny, but no extreme winds. Today, the high reached 50 50 degrees with a low at 31. Tomorrow will warm up ever so slightly to a high of 55 and a low of 37 with no chance of rain or winds picking and... with, of rain, with winds picking up to 4 miles per hour. On Halloween, you can expect some heavier winds reaching 11 miles per hour and a high of 56 with a low of 28. Luckily, most of the early evening will stay bl- above 40 degrees. Sunday, temperatures will range between 34 and 52 degrees with winds reaching 5 miles per hour. Monday will be much warmer with a high of 63 and a low of 38, about the same wind speed and no chance of rain. Tuesday will be reaching nearly 70 degrees for the high, with a low just below 40 degrees. And for Wednesday, you'll have to listen in to the Rocky Mountain Review on Tuesday from 4 to 5 p.m. on KCSU to find out more. And that's all for today. We just wanted to thank Damien Castile for our amazing theme music that's playing right now. Please remember that if you choose to celebrate Halloween, to do so safely and implement social distance into doing it. We'd like to thank Thomas Taylor, Asher Korn, Stephanie Keel, Hannah Copeland, Addison Lambert, Griffin Ham, Jonathan Gillum, Ben Kruger, Ben Haney, Dixon Lawson, Peter Walk, Taylor Sandal, and the rest of the staff here at KCSU and Rocky Mountain Student Media. We couldn't do this without you. And I'd like to thank you, Coda. And I'd like to thank you, Ivy. And finally, we couldn't do this without you, dear listener. Thank you. And with that, we'll see you next time.